Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you guys are, I don't even know how to introduce this year. I don't want to say <laughs> enjoying because there's still craziness. <laughs> but hopefully everyone is safe and healthy. I guess we can wish that of our listeners. Yeah, this is, you know, obviously we're getting back into our routine of recording. So you guys are hearing this a little bit later than it's be than we actually recorded it. However, you know, we're trying to get back in the swing of things. It was nice to just decompress a little bit in December. We took some time off, but we're, we're ready to go and just hoping for the best and, and preparing for the worst in just all aspects of 2021. And we're so happy you guys are joining us today because we have a great guest, TJ Nelligan. He is actually the author of a book that is coming out, Live Like Sean. And he just has such a great background and we wanted him on the podcast to really talk about, you know, this labor of love and healing that is this book, Live Like Sean. So, TJ, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. Great to be here. So, TJ, can you give a little bit of background of yourself, pre-authorhood, I suppose, for our listeners? Sure, I'd be thrilled to. I worked in college sports marketing and media for over 25 years. I went to 25 Final Fours, worked for a company that was the... Uh, major dominant company at the time for 10 years with Jim Host. And then I went out and started my own company, Nelligan Sports Marketing. I did that for 15 years and sold it in 2014. I had a tremendous run, very successful company, sold to one of my competitors. And Sean and his best friend, Bobby, who's also a special mix athlete, actually worked at Nelligan Sports Marketing for 10 years doing all accounts receivable. Oh, excellent. And, and you know, they were our best two employees. They were mm-hmm. they took such pride in their work and they loved it and our employees loved it and gave them a sense of community and having friends and colleagues within the sports industry that they both love sports. I mean, that is just its own life to live in that realm, I suppose. (laughs) And just even how COVID has changed sports and just all of our lives. It was probably a good thing that you got out when you did. TJ, we're really honored to have you on because... I think for a lot of our listeners, they may be parents of children with special needs. We have a Facebook group for this podcast, and so we can kind of see the mix of administrators that have joined that we assume are listening and parents and even, you know, people that may not have children or they do have children, they don't have special needs. And we were just so appreciative that you were willing to kind of talk about what happiness looks like for those families that may have a child with learning difficulties or even just how they can advocate for their children and even, as you put it, kind of coming to terms with, you know, their condition or learning challenges. Where did that push come for you? How did you want this to be something that you're, you know, you dedicated your life to helping families? How'd you get there? Well, our journey started when Sean was born and we thought we took home a perfectly healthy baby boy. Mm-hmm. Unraveled over the next two years to the point we, we went to one of the world's renowned child neurologists. He wrote all the books that neurologists studied mm. to become a neurologist. 
And that was the second worst day of my life because I knew when I saw the diplomas on the wall and all the books with his name on it, that whatever he told me, I was going to have to believe. Right. And I had a thinking feeling and I was scared and his mom was sitting next to me. And after examining Sean for an hour, he put Sean in the waiting room with my mother, Sean's grandmother. And he gave us the news that Sean would never be normal. He wouldn't be able to live an average life. He would get worse as he got older. He would never graduate college, probably never have a job. And life was going to be very, very difficult. Wow. You know, and then after it unraveled for a while, I was still in denial for a few years after that because you kind of mourn for anybody out there that has a special needs child. Yeah. The first five to seven years are the hardest because first you're mourning the child that you thought you were going to have. Right. And then a day comes where you realize he's not upset. He wakes up every day and has a great day and he has no idea what he can't do. He only knows Uh what he can do. Yeah. And he works so hard at the things he can do. But one of the things I learned early on when we went to preschool, special needs school, and pre-K and kindergarten, was that we have to be the child. There's nobody out there fighting for us. And, you know, in the early years, we did the IEPs. You know, you have a caseworker from the school special needs division. Right. A special uh-huh. school where you have physical therapist, the occupational therapist, the speech therapist, the teacher, maybe a sociologist or a psychologist. And you spend a year doing an IEP, the Individual Education Plan, mm-hmm. which is legally binding. And what yeah. I found out was after spending all these times to go to a meeting every month, the director of special services in the school that Sean went to told me, oh, well, Sean can't go to summer school. We don't do that. And I said, well, mm-hmm. his IEP says he needs to go to school and have transportation while he will regress. And he said, well, we don't do that. I said, I'm coming to your office right now. And I walked into his office, into the lobby of the office, and he came running out and he said, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm going to make an exception for uh, Sean, Sean only. Yeah. And I looked at him and I got even mad. I was, right. What do you mean for Sean only? Mm-hmm. All the other kids that are in this school district have the same IEP and you're going to honor all of them or I will take the fight on for them because some of them can't fight. Right. You know, every parent goes about it differently. And that made me so angry that I realized we have to be the advocate for our children mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. our children's friends where those parents don't have the wherewithal to fight. Right. Yeah. It's unfortunate that is the case that you have to fight so hard and that there are a lot of families that, and this is what we experience all the time that either don't know that they can fight or should fight. You know, the schools are the one entity that you would think they've got you know, they should be the advocates, right? Because you think that they would be. But unfortunately, we see time and time again that parents have to fight tooth and nail. And a lot of times these families, they can't. They've got so much going on and, you know, the the fight has to happen somewhere. And so the, the families that are able to kind of not just fight for their own kids, but the rest of the, the students, I mean, we love hearing stories like that because, you know, we want to spread to more families that, you know, not only do you that you can fight, but that you have a right to fight, that it's not like you're just asking for too much. Because I think that's what a lot of people think. Well, I'm being bothersome or I'm asking for too much, but you're not. Well, and I think the next step in that process is don't let the school district Mm -hmm. and the special services in that school district tell Mm -hmm. you, here's where your son or daughter is going to go. Right. You You have to visit all of the schools and find the right environment that makes sense for your child and his or her particular needs and what they need education-wise and what they need 
therapy-wise, whether it's physical therapy, emotional therapy, right. occupational therapy, speech therapy. And we were lucky because we went to eight or 10 different schools and came back to the school district and said, this is the school that Sean's going to go to. Right. And they were like, well, you know what? We have a better relationship with this school. I go, that's great. You can have a relationship with that school. We're right. going to have a relationship with, you know, the first school he went to from about five years old till 12 is in New Jersey called the PG Chamber School. And it was fantastic. It was the mm. best thing that ever happened to him. He felt included in everything there. They had great teachers, great services. And then he graduated from there at about 12 years old and went to the Midland School in New Jersey. And that was even better. And he stayed there until he was 21 years old. The teachers, the staff, everybody was amazing. And I went on the board of both schools to help them raise money. But really, I was kind of like a little spy. I just wanted to know what was going on. And at the board meetings, you find <laughs> really is going on. They can't hide anything from you. Right. And I think I kind of want to go back to that moment that the doctor kind of laid everything out for you, right? And how you had just, you know, so eloquently put that there is a mourning phase, right? And for some, you know, it could be very short, for others, not so much. And in our line of work, we typically, you know, the mother is our contact person. Since COVID, I have had a lot of interaction with fathers, which is great Uh because I think as mothers, you know, there are some things that they even sometimes place limits on their children, whereas the dad's like, yeah, no, he can do that, right? And you need that balance at some times. And so it sounds like you were really involved in the process, you know, of the different schools and things like that. Was that something that you felt you needed to take upon yourself or you were just able to do so because you had flexibility with work? I'm always intrigued to kind of hear the dad's side of things. Well, that's a great question. His mother was amazing. And, you know, while I was out building the company, I wasn't there all day long. So she was really the caregiver, you know, all day long until I got home from school. And his sisters, he's the oldest of three. Oh, wow. His two younger sisters in the later years were amazing with him. I mean, they were his advocates as well. And if anyone ever made fun of me in front of my two daughters, once they, they got to about high school age or middle school, I feel sorry for those kids. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I just have the personality that, you know, you're not going to tell us where our son goes. We're going to do what is in his best interest. Mm-hmm. And we're going to help other families who are his friends' families, because some of them go down the negative path and they just give up and they don't want to fight. Right. And they don't have uh-huh. the energy or the personality to fight. So mm-hmm. I think that part of it I did. But the whole family was involved for many, many years over, you know, the 29 years Sean was here. So he had such an amazing support system. Yeah. And, and you know, inclusion goes beyond education. I think that's the beginning. Yeah. And the hardest part of graduating when Sean's classmates were 21 years old, mm-hmm. most kids graduate from high school or college and it's a happy day and they're hugging each other and throwing their hats in the air. Every kid cried when they graduated from the Midland School at 21 years old because where are they going to go? Where are they going to get a job? And where yeah. are they going to see their friends again? So it was amazing. I, I went there and didn't expect to see that. And it was a very sad day for all his classmates because for 21 years, they got to be involved and included and had all these different things they could do. And now it's the unknown. And the unknown is always scarier than the known. 
And I think that is what is so great about your book in describing those life lessons, right? Of Sean and how he could be a good friend, how he could be brave and beyond the acceptance. Can you share a couple of stories about Sean? And obviously, you know, you can kind of talk about Sean is obviously no longer with us. And that's why we're talking about him in in the past tense. But I would love to hear those stories from your perspective of instances of bravery and camaraderie from him? Well, I think the amazing thing about Sean was that early on, he got into sports because I was in the sports business. And he couldn't read. He couldn't do mathematics. But yet at some point while watching ESPN, the scores start scrolling across the bottom. And he <laughs> says, oh, Seton Hall beat Rutgers. And I looked at him like, what <laughs> did you just say? And, and then he says, oh, look at that. Notre Dame's playing Florida. So he memorized the logos of all the schools on the iPad I gave him. And then years later, he started to tell me we'd be at a Giants game and the Giants are winning seven to nothing. And if you asked him what's seven plus seven, he has no idea. But he knows that if the Giants score a touchdown, it's going to be 14 to seven. And I call that in my book, Sports Matt. I have no idea how that works, <laughs> how his brain is wired, but he could memorize everything. And I, we would watch you know, a new guy playing on the Yankees and I'd say, oh, where'd he come from? St. Louis? No, Dad, you forgot. He's from the <laughs> He had a memory. I think we all have memories for the things that we have a passion for. Yeah. And so yeah. he knew more about sports than I did, and I was in the sports business. <laughs> but, you know, he also just lived in the moment. And I think for, you know, mortals like us, we think about the future. You think about the mistakes you made in the past, even though we can't change them. We have regrets of yesterday or last week or last year. Mm-hmm. And however he could do that, now he didn't have the worries of us of paying mortgages or this or that. But at the end of the day, he wasn't getting up and speak in front of a thousand or two thousand people, but he was always present and he always lived in the moment. And if he was talking to you, Vicky or Amanda, yeah. He would be one-on-one with you, and you won't, You may be like Mario Angelo said, you might not remember what he said, but you remember how he made you feel. And Absolutely. everyone felt that way about Sean. You know, they always wanted his big bear hugs. <laughs> one of our rituals and one of the things that, you know, I say I have regrets about a lot of things and a lot of decisions I've made in my life, like most of us do. But the last night, we were at our beach house in uh, New Jersey on Long Beach Island, and a bedtime ritual that he always had was he would come up to me after he got his pajamas on mm-hmm. and the Yankees had won that night and went into first place and he was so happy <laughs> and he hugs me and he says, you're a good dad. I love you. Am I a good son? Oh, and I said, uh-huh. you're the best in the world, buddy. I love you. And those are the last words we ever spoke. And he passed away the next day on Father's Day. So it was, it was the fact that he can hug you and not let go for a minute or two. Right. And the words that came out of his mouth taught you that, you know, you don't know how long you're here. You better take right. advantage of it and tell people that you love now, not yeah. wait till you regret it. Absolutely. And I mean, completely heartbreaking and heartwarming at the same time to hear it from you and living in the moment and going back to that moment when the doctor's like, he's never going to do X. It was just like a list of nevers. Right. And 
if you could just go back to him and say, but he will do so much, you know, and I think that is something that we try to encourage in, in our parents is, yes, the IEP is always going to open up with, you know, he can't do X, he can't do Y. And it's just like, can we just have a moment to focus on what he can do and what she can do? Oftentimes, it's Amanda and I that are bringing the team around to that, right? And beyond the, we love him, he's so great. No, 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 come on, let's really talk, let's get into it. And I I think that yeah. really sets the tone for the IEP, you know, because we've been to hundreds of them. And it's so inspirational to hear, you know, the attitude that you were able to take because anybody could hear that and think of it as that sentence, right? Like, oh, well, that's just how it's going to be. And you didn't give up on him. And he didn't give up on himself, which is, and you used his strengths. And that's something else Amanda and I um, try to encourage in our our parents. What kind of words of advice do you have for those parents that may be struggling with either accepting a learning challenge their child may have or even in trying to advocate? What kind of words of hope do you have for them? Well, I think we said you have to be the advocate, but past the educational stage when they have to move into life in the real community. Yeah. You need to find places that are of inclusion Mm. and organizations and people and the resources that will help them maximize their abilities. And I got involved in Special Olympics when he was about five or six years old Mm -hmm. and got on the board there to learn about it. And the first time I took him there, he and I went and I said, oh, this is going to be depressing. A college fraternity brother of mine was on the board. He said, you know what? I heard about Sean. You need to come to Special Olympics. Okay. So I said, "Ah, I don't know. So I went. You know, and I was involved for the last 20-something years. And what happens is you find out that look at all these happy people cheering, smiling, Mm -hmm. running races, playing tennis, playing basketball. And so as the years went on, he became a really good basketball player. Mm -hmm. And he was the cheerleader for the team. But inclusion, you know, the next part of life, once you're past 20 years old or so, is there's so many organizations to be involved in from Special Olympics. And they Mm -hmm. have unified sports now, which is, basketball team at the high school playing with the Special Olympics athletes. And my mm-hmm. daughter, Megan, created a unified game at her high school, which is also a fundraiser for Special Olympics New Jersey, and it's going into its eighth year. And the varsity wow. boys and girls team play with the Special Olympics athletes that are both you know, men and women, young men and women. And it's amazing to watch these you know, varsity athletes, how they take to the athletes and they become friends and they look forward to that game every year and they always say that's yeah. their favorite game. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many things that Sean did to inspire people. You know, we always say inspiration comes from the most unlikely place. I mean, mm-hmm. I never thought I'd write a book in my life. Yeah. <laughs> and I saying, you know, this is not my book. Right. This is Sean's book. I'm right. just the messenger as I have been for the last 30 years. Yeah. Um, but yeah. He changed his lives of his cousins. He's got 25, 27 cousins. You know, some of them were involved in Pennsylvania in unified sports. In Virginia, I mean, in unified sports, they created a unified track team at their high school because of Sean. Wow. They created Tim Tebow's Night to Shine prom he does for special needs. Uh, mm-hmm. And they got involved and started the one in Virginia, which is amazing. Yeah. And then his other cousins in Pennsylvania got involved and started Best Buddies at their high school. And I think they all ran it at one point in time, the three cousins from Pennsylvania. And what happens is after a while, he couldn't ride a two-wheel bike, but he mm-hmm. had a giant three-wheel bike that he could ride. Mm-hmm. Now, there, there are certain things he couldn't do, but he didn't know what he couldn't do. And for right. parents, right. that's the hardest thing, to look at what you think your child should be able to do, but mm-hmm. can't. Mm-hmm. Yet he never found Jim because 
He only knew what he could do. Right. He never knew what he could do. And he was perfectly yeah. happy with everything the yeah. way it is. And I would say to the parents that there comes a day where you don't see the disabilities anymore and you only see what they can achieve. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. not tomorrow and it's not next week and it's not next month. And you may not even realize you finally realized it. Right. But looking back, there came a day where, you know, the mourning and the sadness over what you thought you deserved mm-hmm. or entitled to. Mm-hmm. You know, he says we're entitled to a perfectly normal child. You know, my daughters always say Sean was an angel on earth. Yeah. And they always said, I thought we had to protect him and teach him about the world. And here we are now at the end of the story saying he taught us more than we could have mm-hmm. ever taught him. Yeah. And look how many people's lives he touched and that's just what you've told us so far i can only imagine how many more people people's lives he's touched i mean that's the thing that had vicky and i fall in love with you know this area of the law and working with you know these amazing individuals i mean my life was touched by a boy living with down syndrome when i was in college and it set me down the path of everything that i am today and what i do and he had a you know profound impact on me and i think that is probably one of the most important things that i try to tell families like when they get a diagnosis and they're going through all these feelings and they don't know how to feel and you know even if they are mourning the loss of what they thought their child who their child was going to be i try to tell them you know you don't know for any child the impact that they're going to have on the world but the impact that they have on people sometimes is even more important than the impact they might have on you know what job they're going to have or where they're going to live what house they're going to have you know it's the impact we have on other people that i think is the most important and so you know just i think having parents hear your story and just how much of an impact sean had on so many people i think is such a huge thing for parents whether they just received a diagnosis or they received it 10 years ago that's a great point and and it's amazing that there's there's millions of special needs people in this country Mm -hmm. and they've impacted hundreds of millions of people because i mean sean has impacted i don't even know how many tens of thousands of people because of all the things other people did because they were inspired by Sean and Bobby and all of his teammates and you know all of the athletes. And you multiply that by all the people around the country and that's one organization, there's millions. And those people have inspired hundreds of millions of people around the world to make change. And so people look at them and think, what do they have to be grateful for? Mm. Well, they are grateful, can't spell the word, but they are it without even trying to be that. Uh-huh. There are so many people like you, Amanda, that have changed their lives in the course of their life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't be the person I was if I didn't have Sean. I worked on Wall Street in the 80s and the greed is good and all that. <laughs> and maybe that's why God gave me Sean, because you need to chill out and become a better person. <laughs> so I think they have impacted and inspired so many people to make change. And I think that is going to continue tenfold over the next five, ten years. Absolutely. And I think that it's one of those things, as Amanda was pointing out, and the lives that are changed, and what we really strive to 
instilled even in IEP teams, right? It's not, it shouldn't be combative. It shouldn't be us versus them. We are all here for this child. How can we, you know, create an environment where they feel included, they feel heard, they feel seen. And I think that because of the family that, you know, Sean was blessed to have, he felt all that. Even if you didn't feel that you were giving that to him. He felt that in just hearing, you know, his last words to you. He felt heard, he felt seen, he felt loved. And I think that at the end of the day, whether you're that parent that, you know, is advocating your bottom off or not because you don't have the time or energy, you are loving that child the best way and you are the perfect parent for that child. I think parents are their worst enemies, right? And I think that you, again, are just such an inspiration, I think, to so many dealing with so many different levels, right? Of acceptance, of denial, of of just mourning. And we're just so honored that you had the time to come on to our podcast, introduce our listeners um, to Sean and to talk about your book. I want to ask, where can people get the book? Just anywhere? Yeah, the book is Live Like Sean. It's on Amazon and Barnes & Noble on June 19th, January 19th, everywhere books are sold. You can go to tjnelligan.com. And then we have a Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, TJ Nelligan author. And they can find all the links on those websites. And just the closing, you know, something you said, his mom, Maggie, and his two sisters, Maura and Megan, mm-hmm. at one point, at some time in the last few years, we realized that we were the perfect family for Sean. Yep. He was the perfect son for us. Mm-hmm. And there comes a day that when you realize that for the parents out there struggling, and it doesn't come quickly, but it will come. Keep the faith. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> I could not end it. it way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could not end it any perfectly. And I also just the lean into that community that you have. And like you were saying, TJ, there is a build your own community. There's plenty of organizations and even something that, you know, was right up your guys' alley. You know, hey, it's sports. Yeah, it's a Special Olympics. But, you know, let go of the preconceived notions that you had of it before. Right. And realize that they can feel seen, they can feel heard, and that inclusivity you can create. And I just, you are a living example of that, you and your family. And Sean was uh, was an angel on earth and taught so many people. And I'm so happy that you are brave enough to share your story in this book. So thank you again for your time, TJ. Please, you guys, check out the book when it comes out. It, it should be out by the time that you guys are hearing this. And, you know, pick it up even at a Black-owned bookstore if you can. And we really appreciate everyone's time. And we will talk to you next week. Thank Bye. you, Thank you, Amanda. It's a pleasure. Thanks, TJ. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.